Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content about all things sports. I'm Ryan McCrary, and on today's episode, I'm going to start by talking about C.J. Stroud, who is having a remarkable rookie season for the Texans. I want to compare it to some of the best rookie seasons we've seen from quarterbacks throughout NFL history, and I also want to discuss whether or not I believe he is a legitimate MVP candidate. After that, we'll talk about the Detroit Lions, who have one of the best records in the NFL right now, and I want to discuss just how good that team is. After that, we'll talk about the NBA a little bit, talk about Nikola Jokic, who is having a great start to the season. We'll also talk about Oklahoma City Thunder, one of the best young teams in the league, and they're actually performing like one of the best teams in the league, so I'm excited to talk about them. And then to end the podcast, we'll talk a little bit of college football. We'll talk about the Heisman race between Oregon quarterback Bo Nix and LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels, and I'll really focus on why I believe Jaden Daniels should be the clear winner of the Heisman this year. And then the last topic we have for today is the latest edition of the college football playoff rankings. Those were released last night, so I want to talk about things that I agree with and things that I disagree with with the committee and their latest edition of the rankings. I'll also talk a little bit of rivalry week and some potential CFP scenarios we could see play out this weekend. That's what we have on deck for today's episode. I hope you're excited. I know I am. And let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, let's kick this episode off by talking about CJ Stroud, who is having just a tremendous rookie season this year for the Houston Texans. Uh, coming into the, into the season, I didn't really have super high expectations for C.J. Stroud. I was a big fan of him coming into the 2023 NFL Draft. I know I had him as my QB3, and if you've watched my draft coverage the last year, you know that I was a huge fan of Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young, but I still liked him a lot. And me and my friend Thomas, who comes on the podcast sometimes, we were both big fans of C.J. Stroud. However, I did have some concerns about his game. I, I wished that he used his legs more in college. I didn't love the way that he performed under pressure during his final season at Ohio State. And so I thought that there were legitimate concerns with his game that put a cap on his ceiling. But with the way that he is performing right now, those concerns have gone out the window. He's using his legs more in the NFL. Maybe not necessarily as a runner, but I feel like he, he's been he's been more mobile this year as a passer outside of structure than he was in college. I've also loved the way that he's pushing the ball downfield with confidence. His his ability to throw with anticipation is really impressive. That's something that Brett Coleman, uh, someone who's really popular in the football nerd space, he's a guy who makes these film breakdowns. He made a film breakdown uh, for CJ Stroud a few months ago. And Stroud's ability to throw with anticipation is something that Coleman noted in his video. And that's something that I think is very obvious when you watch him play. And the numbers themselves have been really impressive. He's at the top of the league in passing yards. Um, his the counting stats are really good. He's also been very efficient in terms of yards per pass attempt and adjusted net yards per pass attempt. Now, if you don't know what adjusted net yards per pass attempt is, that is a, a stat that is a measure of a quarterback's passing efficiency. It's kind of like passer rating, but it looks at yards per pass attempt, completion percentage, touchdown rate, 
interception rate, and sack rate. Its inclusion of sack rate makes it different than passer rating. That's something that passer rating does not include. And I like this stat. I think it's pretty good. It's not perfect. You know, it doesn't include rushing. It doesn't include penalties. It doesn't include those kind of things. But overall, it's a pretty solid passing stat. And it can be influenced by a, a quarterback's, you know, scheme and their teammates, their coaching. But overall, it's a very solid metric. Um, and and, and it's, it's good if you use it properly and you understand the context um, of a quarterback situation. And when you look at just the net yards per attempt, CJ Stroud has one of the best marks in the entire league in terms of that stat. So he has been remarkably efficient and productive as a passer this year. And at the moment, he ranks top 10 in PFF grade, which is really impressive. That's not normal for a rookie quarterback. And when you look at the way that he is performing and compare it to, you know, other rookie quarterbacks throughout NFL history, it's clear that he is having a historic rookie season. A few weeks ago, I looked at his numbers, and I looked at his adjusted net yards per pass attempt, and I compared it uh, to some of the best rookie quarterback seasons we've ever seen. And it was, you know, close to guys like Dan Marino, Justin Herbert, Robert Griffin III, so, and I believe it's a top 10 mark. Uh, by a rookie quarterback in NFL history, which is really impressive. I also looked at, you know, where his PFF grade ranks in comparison to, you know, some of the best rookie, rookie seasons we've seen in recent memory. And his PFF grade is very similar to Joe Burrow's, Justin Herbert, Mac Jones. It's a little bit behind, Pat, um, sorry, Baker Mayfield, who had a really strong rookie season in 2018. Um, but it, it's awesome. Like his PFF grade is higher than Kyler Murray's. Um, so it, he's having a strong rookie season by um, no matter what what metric you're looking at. Um, he's having a historic rookie season. And then his more advanced metrics um, like EPA for play are really good. CPOE, completion percentage above expected. Um, he's pretty good there as well. So um, yeah, like his numbers across the board are really, really good. And it's not just him that's playing well. He's been great individually, but the impact that he, that he has had on the Texans' offense has also been very apparent. Their offensive efficiency has been really good. They've been performing well, um, especially in terms of like EPA for drop back and passing success rate, which is really great to see. Um, and I just think that he's been playing really well. He's had a great impact on the Texans' offense. The Texans' offense has been way better than I anticipated. Um, I did not think that they had the supporting cast to be really good with CJ Stroud year one, but obviously that has not been the case. I've been really impressed with Nico Collins and Tank Dell. Those guys have been playing really well. And of course, Stroud has been balling out. Now, this brings up a good question. Is he a legitimate MVP candidate? In my opinion, he's not quite. And that's not because I don't think he's been great. I do. He's been awesome. But I have a pretty high bar when it comes to MVP candidates. I believe that guys like Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, 
Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, those guys are legitimate MVP candidates. And in my opinion, Stroud is just not performing at that level. And I know I know a lot of people will look at the way that the Texans are performing and the fact that they are overperforming expectations and will say, hey, this is good evidence that Stroud should, you know, be in the MVP conversation. And if that's how you feel, I understand. And I get that. And I think that's fair. But for me, that's just not how I evaluate the MVP candidates. Um, it's not how I would stack up an MVP case for any player, um, I just personally don't care about a team's record. Um, I will look at the way that a team is performing offensively when I evaluate the quarterbacks in their MVP case, but uh, I care more about a individual quarterback's um, production rather than their team's record. So, yeah, I don't think that Stroud is a legitimate MVP, can MVP candidate at this point. Maybe that could change as the season progresses. We still got a lot of football left. But yeah, for now, I don't think he's quite an MVP candidate, but he's getting there. He's playing at a very high level, um, and there is a chance that he gets into that conversation in a few weeks. All right, now let's go ahead, move on, talk about the Detroit Lions, who are having a really good season. And I just want to talk about how good this team actually is. So right now, the Lions are 8-2. They're 8-2 on the season. They just beat the Bears this past week, winning 31-26. And when you look at the at, sorry, when you look at the Lions numbers, it's apparent that they have a really strong offense. They're top 10 in EPA per play and success rate. Their their offense has been really efficient, and it's largely because of Jared Goff, who has been incredible this year. He's he's been so good, way better than he was a year ago. Last year, I was pretty critical of Jared Goff. I didn't think he was playing at a super high level, and I thought his advanced numbers showed that. I know his counting stats last year were really good, but the more advanced numbers were were not great. His PFF grade was pretty low. He had more turnover worthy plays than big time throws. But now his numbers are really good. He's been accurate. His PFF rate is great. He's got more big time throws than turnover worthy plays. He's avoiding sacks at a really high level. And overall, he is playing extremely well. And I've been really impressed. And with his numbers and the fact that the Lions have such a good record, I'm really surprised that there hasn't been more MVP buzz for golf. I'm not saying that I would vote him for MVP. I wouldn't, but, you know, the, the public seems to care a lot about team records when they talk about the MVP discussion. And I just haven't heard a lot of MVP buzz for golf. And I'm kind of surprised. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that golf has been playing really well. And it's been great to see him play better than he did last season. Um, and of course, you got Amon Ross St. Brown, who's having a strong season. He's been great the last couple of years. Sam Laporta, the rookie tight end, has been great this year. It feels like he's been a little bit quiet the last couple of weeks. But overall, he's having a really strong season. Their offensive line has been awesome. Um, and that's, that's not a surprise. They've been great the last couple of years. And then, of course, their running backs have been, have been really good. David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, those guys are playing pretty well. Now, I will say I'm worried about their defense. Their defense is below average by EPA per play and success rate. Um, and it's because they just aren't great in any area on defense. Their run defense is interesting. Um, it seems to be good in certain areas, like they're not allowing too many rushing yards per game, um, and their PFF run defense grade as a team is really good, 
But when you look at their EPA per rush and their rushing success rate allowed, they're below average by those metrics. So their rushing efficiency is not great, but um, their grading is really good. So maybe they're they're underperforming um they're or maybe i guess that would that would mean they're overperforming um or, or their run defense grade but yeah it's been weird like they've been a weird team this year um in terms of their run defense i don't really know what to make of it in certain areas it's good but in some in certain areas it's below average so make of that what you will i will say that their secondary has not been good um it is and it, it's been below average by basically every measure which is, is unfortunate i will say their pass rush is okay aiden hutchinson has been really good this year he's been awesome like he's having a tremendous season, a breakout season um, in his third season. I believe this is his third season, right? Maybe it's the second season. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's having a great year. Aleem McNeil's been awesome. Alex Anzalone's been good as well. And then the rookie safety slash nickel corner, Brian Branch, has been really good. He's been playing well. Uh, but overall, the results for their defense haven't been amazing. And when you look at you know, some of their performances in terms of their points scored versus certain opponents, they've had some pretty underwhelming performances this year. Like, they gave up 37 to the Seahawks early on in the season. They also gave up 38 to the Ravens, 38 to the Chargers, and then this past week, they gave up 26 to the Bears. So, there's been a few games where they've really struggled defensively. I will say that they are a top 10 team by basically every power rating that I've seen. Um, so I think they're definitely a good team, but not an elite one. Um, and it is hard to evaluate them because their schedule hasn't been too hard so far. Um, it hasn't been like super weak, but it hasn't been super tough. So um, that makes it a little bit difficult to evaluate them. But overall, I think this is a good team. They've got a good offense, but their defense isn't quite as good. Um, I think they're a top 10 team, but not a top five team, not an elite team, but overall a pretty good team. And we'll see, we'll see where they land at the end of the season. Um, now I'm going to move over and uh, transition to talking about the NBA a little bit. But before we do that, I'm going to take a break and I will see you in just a second. All right, I'm back. Now we can talk about Nikola Jokic, who is having a tremendous start to the NBA season. And the reason I wanted to talk about Jokic today is because he has been awesome. And I think that he has the potential to have his best season yet, which is crazy to think about because he's been really good the last couple of years. He's been playing at an all-time great level, and I think he can reach another level this year. So let's go ahead and go through his numbers a little bit. I will say these numbers may be outdated a little bit because I did prep for this podcast a few days ago. I had to record this podcast uh, a second time because the first time I had some issues with my camera, but let's go ahead and dive into the numbers a little bit. So um, right now, Jokic is averaging around 29 points, 14 rebounds, and 9 assists per game on 64.6% true shooting, um, and his shooting splits look like 58% from the field, 30% from three, and 79% from the free throw line. Those numbers are really good, and honestly, his shooting efficiency could be a lot better. He could be even more efficient on offense. His three-point percentage is a career low at the moment. 
Um, and he's been way less effective shooting around the rim and from mid-range than he's been the last couple of years. So I think he's going to, you know, bounce back in those areas and, and be more efficient around the rim and mid-range as the season progresses. And if that happens, he's going to be more efficient. And I think his scoring volume could go up. And, you know, to be fair, his scoring volume may have to come down for his efficiency to go up because he is scoring at a higher volume than he did a year ago. Um, but there is a chance that his efficiency goes up and his scoring volume goes up even higher. And that would just make make this season ridiculous for him. That would be insane. I will say his defense hasn't been great. It's been around average, maybe a little bit below average. His defense hasn't been amazing, but the offense has been awesome. Has been awesome, excuse me. His rebounding has been terrific, and his passing is still so freaking good. And it's not just good for his position. It's good for anybody. Um, his assist rate is off the charts good. His passing efficiency has been phenomenal. I mean, he is like a god-tier level passer. He's been amazing um, in that area. And then his advanced numbers, like his, his impact metrics, have been great. Um, his on-off at the time I did prep for this was plus 20.4, meaning that the Nuggets are 20.4 points better per 100 possessions when he is on the floor than when he is off the floor. Um, and then his impact metrics, like his bucks plus minus, is really good. It's 14.3, which leads the league. His EPM, his estimated plus minus, which is another plus minus metric, is 7.5, which also leads the league. So he's having a phenomenal year. A phenomenal year. His impact metrics are great. And I think if he can get the, his scoring efficiency up a little bit, his impact metrics are going to increase as well. And we could see one of the greatest seasons in NBA history here. That's how good he's been early on in the season. And that's how good I think he can be moving forward. So shout out to Jokic. He's been playing at a very high level. And I think we could see him play at a level that he has not reached yet. Which is really scary to think about. Okay, next up, I want to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Who are one of the best young teams in the league. They're a lot of fun to watch. And to start the season, they've been really, really good. Heading into this year, I didn't really have, you know, many expectations for them. For them, I didn't know what to expect because they were bringing in Chet Holmgren, who didn't play at all last year dealing with an injury. Um, and so I was like, I think this team can be good, but just how good can they be? That was a question that I had for them. Um, and it looks like the answer might be pretty freaking good. Because early on this season, they were top 10 in offensive rating and top 10 in defensive rating. And those metrics are a measure of how efficient um, a team's offense and defense are. Um, and basically, this means that um, the Thunder are top 10 in how many points they're scoring per 100 possessions and how many points they are allowing per 100 possessions. And so it's super important to be really high in those metrics. So the fact that they're so high in those metrics is great. That's really good to see. And I've been really impressed by their individual players. Like SGA, he looks like a superstar. He looked like a superstar last year, and he is continuing to play at that level this year. His numbers are really good. He's averaging around 30 points, six rebounds, and six assists per game on 62.6% true shooting which is great. He's been awesome. Jalen Williams in his second season is looking really good. He isn't playing at like an extremely high level yet, but still playing pretty well. One guy that I've been really impressed with them, um, with them is Chet Holmgren. 
he is playing like an all-star. And I'm not kidding. Like, his numbers are off the charts good. He's averaging around 17 points, 8 rebounds, and 3 assists per game. Also, 1 steal and 2 blocks per game on 69.7% through shooting. He's shooting over 70% at the rim and over 40% from 3, which is crazy to think about. Like, those are ridiculous shooting numbers for a guy his size. He's been great in terms of rebounding. Um, he's got crazy defensive production. And when you look at his catch-all metrics, when you look at his impact metrics, like his BPM, his ZPM, they're both incredible. And they're at an all-star level, which is crazy. It's crazy. Like, that is insane to see. Um, that's not normal for a guy who is, you know, in his first season in the NBA. Usually guys struggle during their first season, but that has not been the case for Chet Holmgren. And his scoring numbers are going to go down a little bit. I don't think he's going to be this effective at the rim or from three-point range moving forward. I think his, his shooting percentages from those areas of the floor is going to go down. But still, he's been awesome. He's been he's playing at a really high level at the moment. Um, and he's not the only young guy that's been playing well for them. You know, Kaysen Wallace, another rookie, has been great for them. He's been on fire as a scorer and a shooter. He's also been been very decent defensively. Um, hasn't been great as a passer. And I think that um, his scoring and his shooting numbers are going to, you know, regress to the mean a bit. But still, he's been awesome. I've also been really impressed with Isaiah Joe and Luke Wentz-Dort. Those guys have been great complimentary players. Um, at the time I was doing prep for this podcast, they were both shooting over 40% from three, which is great to see. And then, of course, I've got to talk about Josh Giddy. I've been really, you know, positive about the Thunder up to this point. Now I've got to get a little bit negative. Um, Josh Giddy not having the best start to the season. Um, he's been struggling a little bit. And, and it's not all his fault, in my opinion. I think part of it is because he's not a perfect fit for this team. His fit alongside SGA, Jalen Williams, and Chet Holmgren is not perfect, mainly because he's not a great shooter, and he's not a great scorer. He's not a bad scorer, but he's definitely not a great shooter, um, and so he's playing alongside SGA and Jalen Williams, and he's having to play off the ball more, which is not his game. He's a primary ball handler. He needs the ball in his hands because he's a great passer. He needs to be running the offense. Um, and that's like the role that he should be playing. And he can't really play that. He can't really play that role for the Thunder. And so his numbers have dipped a little bit. His impact metrics are not great. And they've dipped a little bit. Um, and there, you know, people are starting to question whether or not the Thunder might trade him. And I think that's a possibility. Like I could see them, them moving him in a trade to try to get like a star caliber player. Um, hopefully he's able to bounce back, um, and have a strong season moving forward. But right now, um, I just, I think the, the fit with the rest of the team is a bit questionable. Um, and that's leading to, you know, worsening production for him. But like I said, hopefully he bounces back because he's a talented player. He, he belongs in the NBA. He's a good player. He just needs to find that right fit somewhere, whether that's in Oklahoma City or not. But yeah, overall, the Thunder, they've been great. They've been a lot of fun to watch. And I've been really, really intrigued by this team. That's all I have to say about the NBA. Um, I'm going to move on talk about a little bit of college football, but before I do that, I'm going to take a break, and we will be right back. 
All right, let's close out the podcast with a little bit of college football talk, and I want to start by discussing the Heisman race. So, right now, there are two players in college football that have, you know, separated themselves as the clear favorite for the Heisman Award, and that's Oregon quarterback Bo Nix and LSU quarterback Jane Daniels. A few days ago, Bo Nix was the betting favorite to win the award, but the last, you know, the last numbers that I saw had Jane Daniels as the favorite, and that's according to FanDuel and DraftKings. So at the moment, Jane Daniels is the betting favorite to win the award, um, and I I agree with that. Now I will say, Bo Nix is having an awesome season, and he would win the Heisman in most most years. Like he is having a strong Heisman caliber season. But Jaden Daniels has been playing so ridiculously well this year, and I think he should be the clear winner. Honestly, I think he should win unanimously. That's how good he's been, and I'm going to show you why. So let's go ahead and look at some numbers here. Um, when you look at you know Jaden Daniels' counting stats, they're great. He's top ten in completion percentage, you know, passing yards, um, yards per pass attempt, passer rating. He's been remarkably productive and remarkably efficient as a passer this year. And he's also been one of the more productive rushing quarterbacks in college football this year. Um, He's had a ridiculous number of rushing yards this season. Um, And that level of passing production and rushing production is rare to see from a quarterback. Um, And that's a huge reason why I think he should be a favorite for the Heisman. Um, But I don't just look at a quarterback's box score numbers when evaluating their season. I also look at their more advanced numbers. So right now, um, Jaden Daniels, he leads the nation in PFF grade among quarterbacks with a mark that's just below 95, which is crazy. That's a ridiculous mark. So he's been awesome. His big-time throw rate's great. He's been accurate. Um, He's performed really well under pressure and when blitzed. Um, and the LSU's offense has been great. They, they have the best offense in the nation at the moment. They are first in raw EPA per play, and they're also first in adjusted points per game. And that's adjusted for strength of schedule. So he's been great as an individual player, as both a passer and a rusher. And he's also had a tremendous impact on LSU's offense, as they have the best offense in the country at the moment. Um, And so I think those are great reasons for him to win the Heisman. But I have one stat that I believe should, you know, you know, give give Jaden Daniels a clear-cut case to win the Heisman unanimously. And I actually tweeted this on Twitter the other day, so if you saw that tweet, you know what I'm about to say. But let's go ahead and, and let me let me show y'all this great stat. So this year, no quarterback in college football has more than 85 total EPA, except for one guy, and that is Jaden Daniels, who has 118.4 total EPA. That's crazy, and the reason why his EPA is so high is because he's been so productive as both a passer and a rusher, and to have an EPA that high, you have to be really good in all these different facets of the game. You've got to be a good passer. You've got to be a good rusher, and Jane Daniels has been that. He's been elite as both a passer and a rusher. That's why his EPA is so high, and listen, EPA is not the end-all be-all, but when a guy has this big of a lead in this metric, they should probably win the Heisman, um, and basically everything I laid out here in today on this episode is why I believe Jaden Daniels, you know, 
is the clear-cut favorite for, for the Heisman. It's why I believe he should win it unanimously. I think he's got a great case. Let me know what you think, because I know Bo Nix has a lot of fans. There are some Michael Penix fans out there. Um, so if you want to, let me know why you believe somebody else, somebody else should win this award. Hit me up on Twitter at the Ryan McCrary. That's the R Y A N M C C R A R Y. That's my Twitter handle. You can hit me up there on Twitter. I'm on there a lot. So yeah, those are my thoughts about the Heisman race. That's why I believe that Jane Daniels should win the award and should probably win it unanimously. All right, now let's go ahead and talk about the latest college football playoff rankings. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, um, the, the latest edition of the rankings were released last night at the time I'm recording this. That's uh, Wednesday, and this episode should go out on Wednesday. But let me go ahead and pull up the college football playoff rankings real quick. I'll pull them up on Twitter. Um, so right now, I'm going to go through the top 10. So the top 10 of the latest rankings looks like this. We got 10, Louisville, 9, Missouri, 8, Alabama, 7, Texas, 6, Oregon, 5, Florida State, 4, Washington, 3, Michigan, 2, Ohio State, and number 1, Georgia. Now, I don't have a lot of issues with the top 10, I think, in general, it's pretty good. Um, I do have some little disagreements in some places. Like, I think Texas and Alabama should both be ranked ahead of Oregon. Um, and that's my personal opinion. And I'm not sure why the committee themselves haven't, haven't ranked Texas and Alabama ahead of Oregon the last couple of weeks because based on their own rankings, Oregon does not have a rank to win. Um, and Texas and Alabama both have multiple ranked wins. Um, so just looking at purely, you know, each team's best win, um, Texas and Alabama have, you know, multiple better wins than Oregon based on the committee's rankings. Um, and, you know, all these teams have a loss. Um, so I'm just, I'm not really sure what's up with, the, with that part of the ranking. I'm not sure why Texas and Alabama are still below Oregon, but, you know, that will play itself out. And so I think at the end of the year, that's not going to be a major issue. But I am really confused why the committee likes Oregon so much. Obviously, Oregon is one of the best teams in the league when you look at power ratings. But still, like, from a resume perspective, I don't get it. I don't think it makes sense. One of the biggest changes that was made this week was uh, Washington jumping Florida State. Um, obviously, you know, Jordan Travis getting hurt really hurts Florida State, but one of the committee members came out and said that that did not have an effect on Florida State's ranking, which I think is great. I don't think that should affect their ranking. Um, I do think Florida State should have been bumped back to number five, and I do think Washington should have jumped them. I've, I've had Washington top four in my own ranking for the last, like, I, I believe three weeks, so I'm glad the committee finally made that change. I think Washington is a top four team, so I'm glad to see them up there. Um, of course, I've been a little bit lower on Georgia and Michigan this year. Um, I think that they are both top four teams now. That has not been uh, what I've said the last couple of weeks. The last couple of weeks, um, or a few weeks ago, I had both of those teams outside of the top four, but based on the results of the last couple of weeks, they have jumped up in my rankings, and I'll, I'll tell you all my rankings in a minute. I still think the committee is overrating Georgia a little bit. I think that they are overrating their resume a bit. I would have Georgia in the top four, but I would have them closer to three or four than number one. I would still have Ohio State at number one. Um, but 
you know, like when the Oregon Alabama Missouri situation, or sorry, when the Oregon Texas Alabama situation, that will play itself out at the end of the year. But overall, there are some things that I disagree with with the rankings. But in general, they're pretty good. They're not. They're not terrible. Um, it could be much worse, I guess. Um, and now I will tell you my own rankings. So I have a ranking system that you know looks at a few stats from ESPN. That's strength of record. FPI and game control, um, and it's heavily weighted towards um, strength of schedule, or sorry, towards strength of record. So it it you know it cares a lot about a team's resume, um, and so it's about seventy percent resume, twenty five or twenty percent twenty five percent on twenty five percent team strength, and five percent how a team dominates their opponents. And so let me look at my resume rankings for this upcoming week. Let me make sure I got it sorted correctly. I do. So let's go ahead and go through the top 10. At number 10, I have Penn State. Number 9, Ole Miss. Number 8, Oregon. Number 7, Texas. Number 6, Alabama. Number 5, Florida State. Number 4, Georgia. Number 3, Washington. Number 2, Michigan. And number 1, Ohio State. Now you might be wondering, why is Georgia at number 4 in my rankings? Um, It's because their resume is not elite. It's good. They rank fifth in strength of record. Um, and it's because, you know, strength of record looks at FPI when it's judging a team's resume. Um, and when it's judging their resume, it looks at it looks at the FPI of their opponents. And so a lot of people will give Georgia credit for, um, you know, beating Missouri. It'll give them credit for beating a top 10 team when they look at their win versus Missouri. But Missouri ranks 19th in FPI. Um, and then you look at Tennessee. Tennessee is 17th, um, and that was a good win for Georgia. But those are um, their biggest wins. Also, you got Ole Miss, um, who ranks 15th in FPI. So they, according to FPI, Georgia does not have a top 10 win yet. Um, and so um, strength of record is you know saying, hey, y'all are overreacting. Um, y'all are or overrating Georgia's resume a little bit. It's still good. Like, it's good enough for them to be in the top four, but it's not quite good enough for them to be number one. I think that makes sense. If Georgia beats Alabama, they will have a strong case uh, for the number one spot. I'm not sure if my ranking system will have them that high. It'll just depend on what happens this weekend um, with the Ohio State-Michigan game and what happens in the Big Ten title game. But yeah, um, Georgia, if they handle their business, they they could very well get to the number one spot in my rankings. But for now, they're at number four. Uh, Washington, they have the best resume. They're first in strength of record. Um, They are 13th in FPI, and my rankings care about that. It it looks at FPI as well. Um, So, that's why they they are third and not higher and not number one. It's because they aren't quite good enough as a team um, to be number one. But they're a great like their resume is insane. Um, they've got a, a phenomenal resume with wins against you know Oregon, Oregon State, Arizona. They have a phenomenal resume that you know is worthy of that number one spot. But their team strength is just not great. Um, and they're, they're not just low in FPI, they're low in the composite um, power rankings, which look at a number of different power ranking systems. 
Michigan, with a win over Penn State a few weeks ago, um, they've jumped up to third in strength of record. They're also second in FPI, just behind Ohio State. And then Ohio State, they're second in strength of record, but first in FPI. Um, so that's why they are number one. And also, Michigan is first in game control. Ohio State is second in game control. I didn't mention that metric for other teams. Um, Georgia is fifth in game control. And Washington is sixth in game control. Now, I want to talk about one scenario that people have talked about a lot. Um, and this is like a potential chaos scenario that we could see play out. And let me pull this up. Um, and this scenario um, is something that could legitimately happen. And, and this is a scenario that they showed on ESPN last night. Um, and so in this potential hypothetical scenario, Michigan wins out. They win the Big Ten. They're 13-0. Florida State wins out. They win the ACC. They're 13-0. Alabama wins out. They beat Georgia. And they win the SEC title. They're 12-1. Oregon wins out, they beat Washington, they win the Pac-12, they're 12-1. Texas wins out, they beat Oklahoma, win the Big 12, they're 12-1. And then you have 12-1 Georgia, 12-1 Washington, and 11-1 Ohio State. So in this situation, what would happen? Now thankfully, a guy on Twitter that I followed for years, his name is Kelly Ford, he has his own ratings, his own power rankings, his own resume rankings, and he ended up um, calculating what his uh, resume rankings would look like at the end of the year if this chaos scenario plays out. And this is what his rankings look like. And I'm going to go through the top eight, which is what he posted. So if that chaos scenario plays out, this is what his rankings would look like. You got number eight, Georgia, number seven, Washington, number six, Oregon, number five, Texas, number four, Florida State. Number three, Ohio State. Number two, Alabama. And number one, Michigan. So you have Michigan jumping up to number one after beating Ohio State. And then um, I assume that they would win against Iowa in the Big Ten title game. So they'd get two. Then get a, an elite win against Ohio State. And then another really good win against Iowa to bump them up to number one. Alabama gets an awesome win against Georgia to bump them up to number two. Ohio State loses to Michigan. But um, according to this guy's numbers, according to Kelly Ford's numbers, their resume would be good enough to stay inside the top four, though they would fall down to number three. And at the moment, uh, Ohio State is number one in Ford's rankings, so they would fall two spots. And then you have Florida State staying inside the top four. Um, or actually, I think this guy has Florida State outside the top four at number five in his rankings, but they would they would uh, end up inside the top four, finishing undefeated and picking up a win against Louisville in the ACC title game. And then you've got Texas just barely missing out. And I asked Kelly Ford on Twitter how close Texas was to making the playoff because I thought a win against Oklahoma would be enough to put them inside the top four. And he, he said that um, the numbers are really close, that they would be really close to getting in um, instead of Florida State, but Florida State just narrowly beat them out. And then you've got number six, Oregon. Um, a win against Washington would not do enough for them. And honestly, that's not really surprising. Oregon's resume just is a bit weak at the moment. It's not bad, but it's not great. Right now, they rank ninth in strength of record. And Washington 
Um, ranks 13th in FBI, so even a win against Washington is not going to help out Oregon enough, um, according to the, this guy's numbers. Um, and I don't think the committee would bump Oregon inside the top four, but you never know. The committee does seem to like Oregon a lot. Um, Oregon's a great team. I don't think the resume is good enough to get inside the top four, um, but you never know. Maybe a win against Washington would bump them up inside the top four for the committee. Um, of course, Washington loses, so they fall outside the top four. I think that would happen um, in the committee's rankings, and I think that probably should happen. And then Georgia falls all the way to number eight, um, which wouldn't happen in the committee's rankings, but in Kelly Ford's rankings, Georgia is third at the moment, and so they would fall a little bit. I'm not sure how far they would fall in my rankings, but they would definitely fall outside the top four. So that's that chaos scenario and what could possibly play out um, in, in, um, according to Kelly Ford's uh, rankings. Um, for the committee, I'm not really sure what they would do. I think their rankings would look a little bit different than Kelly Ford's rankings, but um, they would look somewhat similar. And so that's a potential um, you know, outlook at what the committee's rankings could look like at the end of the year if we get a crazy chaos scenario. Well, that's all I've got for y'all today. That's it for today's episode. We talked about a lot. I thought that was really good. I uh, hope y'all enjoyed that episode. I really enjoyed it. Had a fun time talking about it. Hope y'all enjoyed today's episode, and I will see y'all next time. Peace. <laughs>